Hey everybody, I'm Cameron. I'm Zach. I know everything. And I know Egret gets what she wants. Oh, she does. And, and this, this is, is the Watching You Watch podcast. <gasps> We're back with Game of Thrones. Whoop. And let me tell you, we just watched a jam-packed episode. Yep. Zach for the first time, me for the I don't know how many of the time I've seen this episode. I've watched <laughs> Game of Thrones. I think I think I've watched the show through about three times now. And each time you're still surprised at what you don't remember. Well, it's like there's so much that happens. It's impossible just to keep up with everything, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Like this episode is a really key example of that. Um, for you guys who are listening to this, we just finished watching uh, season three. Uh, episode five, which is entitled Kissed by Fire. And, um, yeah, yeah, I've seen it before. That's the theme of this. I've seen it before. Zach has not. No. And, like, even I was, like, blown away by just the sheer amount of things that happened. And then we were talking about it afterwards. It's like, you, you see, like, everyone from the cast, which is rare. Right. This is one of those, like, tentpole kind of moments for Game of Thrones and it feels like it happens like every half season where it's like okay we've yeah. done everything we've set everything up we've meandered around a little bit now we need to set up what the rest of the season is going to be about and that was this episode yes so I know that there was a lot that happened Zach mm. why don't you just recap maybe a few of your highlights oh boy well let's see um the wildling situation is not going better Jon Snow is just as bad at being a double agent as he still knows nothing else he still knows nothing no really he doesn't and it's kind of funny because he gets to the point where egret gets what she wants and then she's also like we should run away partially because she has feelings and partially because she probably knows Jon snow will not make it in wildling society for too long (laughs) (laughs) yeah um let's see um I don't know. It was another one of my other highlights was definitely Jamie. Like the Jamie opening up sequences are always so sort of like, I don't know. They're round. They're They're rare. rare. Yeah. And he just like goes into the bathhouse and Brian's like, what what are you doing here? It's like, I want to vent. Make sure I don't die. Basically. (laughs) And then he almost dies in a bathtub. Yes. Because of course. Um, Because feelings. Yeah. uh, Maybe that's what it is. Maybe he's just, he can't do feelings. <laughs> and also, he didn't want any milk of the poppy. <laughs> yes. He can't do drugs, apparently, either. Uh, he's too straight edge. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, we find out more interesting things about our characters. Jamie's actually totally straight edge. Yeah, which, besides the incest thing. Evidently, that must be straight edge. <laughs> <laughs> Only your family, nobody else. <laughs> Nothing but family. <laughs> Oh boy. But getting more to the point, um, let's see. So that was pretty profound. Uh, other uh, Lannister things is basically Tywin wants to sell off his two other unmarried uh, children to political partners so he can control the North and the South. Uh, Cersei to uh, Loras and... Which is going to go laughably well. Uh, yeah, and she knows it, which is hilarious. The extra layer. <laughs> <laughs> and Tyrion to Sansa, which, once again, just blurb to Sansa. She Every time someone talks to her, he's like, oh, yeah, they're great. And it's like, no, stop it. <laughs> yeah, she's she's so manipulated in this episode. Yeah, because everyone's so nice to her, and she still hasn't gotten it. If someone's being nice to you in King's Landing, stab them. They're gonna kill you. <laughs> it would go much better for you in the long run. Then there's also back with Stannis, where we now found out his wife is, like, a devout follower of the Lord of Light, which is 
weird and we see that he has a daughter who was maybe mentioned but i didn't know and just sort of like oh that's weird they have a basement daughter and a <laughs> basement daughter and then that it's then of course she's friends with the person that got exiled and it's like oh man she calls him oh yeah i guess he was the onion knight yeah that's, sir, sir that's pretty cool that's pretty cool though yeah and they have a, a moment and it's just sort of like well shoot he's not a very good father figure it's like, well, he's in the dungeon. Forget about him. Yeah, it's it's an interesting situation for sure. Yeah. Also, she keeps her stillborn children. Not at all a good pastime. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Um, also, more Lord of Light things. Um, the Brother Without Borders are basically... Brotherhood Without Borders? Yeah. Are <laughs> basically a bunch of, like, clerics that run around and can just resurrect each other. It's not okay because the hound like pushes through his like fear of fire to get the job done and get out of there. It, it's just, I don't know. It's weird. I don't like it. <laughs> it's like, I'm just whispering into his ears. Like, oh, he's saying his last rites, whatever. Dumb. Yeah. And then he's standing. I was like, you sons of guns. Cause when magic shows up in this show, it's terrifying. His sword was also on fire. Yeah. That, that did from happen. His blood, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. It, it's, it's magic. Weird. Also, we, I was going to say, nothing super exciting happens with Daenerys except that her soldiers are awesome. Grey, Grey Worm's pretty cool. And Jorah is still her number one. Yes. <laughs> like, nothing has changed. Yeah. <laughs> Sir Barista was, like, trying to be like, honor, honor. Maybe we do these things and get back. It's like, no, I listen to the Queen. It's like, all right. And that was the scene. Because at yeah. first I was like, what, what's he getting at? And it's like, oh. We can touch on that a little bit later. Is Which, there anything else you want to recap, though? Um, big things. There's really well. The most imp- another important thing is that uh, there was some treason within um, the Northern Army's ranks, and Lannisters were killed. Which that's also just kind of weird. Like I don't know. Maybe the dude got like drunk in the night and murdered them. Murdered I, some kids. Yeah, yeah like that's the thing. I know he's been saying about doing, but all of a sudden, just like out of nowhere, treason is like crap. And now yeah. they've got to make peace with the phrase because they figured out huh if we take away their if they all their base are belong to us then <laughs> then we have a huge strategic advantage and Basically. everyone's like it was like that big aha moment because yeah. no one would think for them to do that because the north is honorable the north is all this stuff but going back and taking where the lannisters call home is like one of the best things like oh you want king's landing cool have it we'll take your place yep so that's pretty awesome because for once again it seems that the north was not going to pull through (laughs) and through the power of love and and oddly being near a map stuff got solved a lot of things happen around maps that are important to this story yeah i I would say with that okay well why don't we jump right into the recap questions okay this is really tough for me because usually there's like Two or three. Yeah, the two ones. or three moments that I want to key in on and but just say, th- yeah, like, let's jump in and do there's it. But there's a lot. And so I am going to do this with really no semblance of order as much as I can. So here we go. Sorry. Um, I want to start with the Lord of Light because I feel mm. like a lot of stuff happens with that this episode. Mm. It's where our episode starts, but there's also more that we get later. Um, we see in this episode the Brotherhood Without Banners doing their whole thing, a trial by combat. They let the Hound go when he doesn't die because of their code of honor. And then we see um, Beric Dondarrion get brought back to life via some sort of magic after seeing a magic flaming sword. 
So we got that end of things. That's, yeah. And then on the other end of things, you've got Camp Stannis and, like, the crazy, crazy fanatical faith of... That is growing. Lady Baratheon. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, she's, like, totally okay with him, like, sleeping with Melisandre and all that kind of stuff. Like, Like, she's like, I wept with joy when i heard about what you did with her and i'm like this is weird this is this is so wrong right so we've seen a good bit of the lord of light now between everything every everything that we've seen with camp stannis and other stuff throughout the show what what kind of god do you feel like the lord of light is if I, he is real is he the real god of westeros you I know no but going it's on? definitely a pool of power that people have pulled on regardless of where they're at it's i don't know it's weird there's nothing magical in this universe is like very good it always gets used as a tool for bad or anything like i've not seen any like good powers step up and do stuff so i don't i still am not a fan of the whole lord of light idea because i don't know it's because it's weird because you have you know over in the war times you have the whole brotherhood thing like working to do something relatively okay i mean in theory in theory i mean they're a mercenary group that's definitely you know profiting off of the war but still being better than most other people and yet you have like a whole other like kingdom becoming a bunch of fanatics to the point where they're like killing their own it's weird i don't I don't think that he's a good thing <laughs> is what I'll leave it at. Okay. But do you, do you feel like he's real? There is some, there's some serious debate over that. Now I feel that's, like. that's the thing that I'm not sure because I mean, if it was only happening over in Camp Baratheon, just with Melisandre, I would think it was her. But the fact that there's like another group completely removed from all of those things that, you know, has these powers and has had them evidently because that eye patch man was brought back a few times. Yep. So, um, yeah, I don't, he's it, he or the source of power is definitely a real thing, but whether it's good or bad is highly up to debate, but I lean much more bad sure. because pretty much any magic in this world has not been good. <laughs> yeah. I think we've got plenty of examples of that. Um, Okay, well, another thing I want to talk about is the North, and more specifically, the Far North, and more specifically than that, Jon Snow. Yeah. Um, We get a really interesting interaction with Jon Snow and the Wildlings, and they basically ask him to give up the location of where the... Um, the Night's Watch Yeah, where the Night's Watch is, and we really see, like, the conflict in Jon during that moment, where he's like, okay, how far do I go with this whole espionage thing? Yeah, because he's like, okay, I'll tell them, which is scary, because, yeah, there are three man places, but he's not gonna be straight about what the number of troops were. It's almost like he wanted to stick to that number of a thousand to make them not want to attack that one. Maybe they just, you know, like... Because the whole idea is, I don't, it's kind of hard to tell whether the wildlings want to just, like, beat all the crows down, or if they just want to get out of the the far north. Yeah, because I can see why you're, you're I, coming from I that. see, because at least me being sort of in a Jon Snow-esque position, I see his thought process as being, okay, I tell them where there aren't people, and maybe they'll just go through there. Hmm. Which, I mean, protects his buzz, but doesn't necessarily protect his country, because right. wildlings are not just going to, like, 
I don't know. I don't see them as the kind that are just going to go down. It's like, oh, it's so much warmer here. Let's settle down. Right. And, but then this scene where he betrays these locations is immediately followed with him breaking his oath to the Night's Watch with uh, Egret. Egret. Well, and to himself, too. Yes. So, and then she even suggests in that scene, like, hey, like, let's run away together. And like, yeah, well, because well, she knows how seriously fracked they both are. Yeah. So my question is, John's got a serious case of divided loyalties. And it's like, where do you think his loyalties really lie? Is he becoming too much like a wildling, you know, or is he still loyal to the Night's Watch? Or is he maybe even more loyal to Egret more than anybody now? I think he may just becoming it's honestly more of a wildly thing but more true to himself doing what he wants because he's now finally been sort of unfettered but it's going to be interesting to see like where he goes from here i think that you can kind of see that in the choices he makes in just like that short amount of time it's crazy it's like less than a five minute scene but we get more character development for Jon Snow <laughs> off screen than we've ever got from any of his moody stares. His moody stares take like on a new level of like anguish during the this series of scenes I yeah, feel like. Yeah and I mean like and even thinking of looking back is like most of the time he was doing that he was just weighing his options what's right how do I stick to my code of honor and now he's finally just sort of broken down and done something that he wants to do something selfish and something that wasn't related to any other group. Right. So, I mean, are you talking about like him and Egret? Yeah. Okay. Well, that and a little bit in his whole espionage thing, because that's not a very Jon Snow thing to do in the first place. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. And I feel as if it's going to be more of a, he's going to be more confused about the fact that he can sort of be free of a lot of things and yet not be. Right. Like, it seems to be the whole mantra of, like, the wildlings is, like, live free, you know? Like, all the time. And he's having trouble with that, because, like, he's never had the opportunity to, to do that do that yeah and the thing with it is is he still has so much baggage that's gonna follow him regardless of what he does that's true he's very much screwed because i don't know and this goes back to the theme of like loyalties and like you know who do you stick to like what is truly honorable right and we're getting to see his side of it plus you have to throw that in with um you kind of the stark background that he has which is that kind of loyal to a fault ned stark kind of thing yes like where do you see that playing in with john's loyalties right now well i definitely saw that more in the the sort of like let's stick to the espionage let's not let you know the commander's death be in vain sort of thing but in the same respect i don't know it's it's really hard to tell where he's gonna go he's very much at a crossroads Mm. do you have any predictions on where you want him to go I'd, Where you think he'll go? Uh, hmm. I'd l- I really do think that Egret is making the smart choice. The smartest choice is for him to remove himself from a lot of the overarching conflict. Uh, so honestly, you think he's going to run away with Egret before I the think end of so, this? And I think the best, I don't know, it's going to be hard to say what the best choice for him will be because unless the Night's Watch is completely taken down, and even if not then, if he goes back and like even stays with his family, they're going to find him and they're gonna kill him because that's yeah what they do for yeah he's desertion. in a he's in a tough spot no Is matter that, how you swing it yeah so it's really tough he and it's always been hard for him especially hearing what with everything happening the war to not just run back and do stuff right so i don't know i feel as if he's going to screw himself more by his lack of 
like basically due to his indecision right i feel like that's going to be his sort of arc due to his indecision he's going to have to face terrible consequences if he had gone hard wildling or hard night's watch he would have been okay but i feel as if he's going to waffle as he sort of has and then i don't know it's either gonna be his doom or it's going to be where he truly starts to grow Ooh, but, are, are we am i hearing we're predicting a potential character death here is that is that what i'm hearing i'm saying that there's pretty much only two options <laughs> it's either he screws up real bad and it kills him or he screws up real bad and he has more baggage but like a solid like base to grow as a yeah. character well i mean this is game of thrones and you either win or you die yeah no there's that there there is only those options really anywhere you go in yes. westeros oh yes so okay while we're talking about loyalty let's also talk about the starks and like that whole situation we've got oh boy we got the car starks who serve the starks pretty closely and the lord of the car starks decides to kill the lannister prisoners these like boys that they have um, here and it's real. It's really a tough situation for Rob because like nothing this guy he does can be ha- make anybody happy right. or everybody happy. Rather. But like immediately, like the so like immediately after this happens, everybody who's like in an advice kind of position with Rob basically says like imprison him, hold him hostage, tell the Karstarks if they continue to serve that nothing will happen to him, and like everything will be fine. But, like, Rob feels the honorable thing to do is, like... To do what would be expected. Yeah, which is you you kill somebody for murder. You punish treason, you punish murder, you do what you have to do. And you know what was really profound about that scene? The fact that his mother said nothing. Well, she she kind of chimed in a little bit though with like Basically. the chorus of people saying like, you know, hold him prisoner, don't do anything. Like there was everybody in that room that was just like, come on, like this is the sensible thing to do. You can't afford to lose anybody. If you kill the Lord Karstark, you lose those. You lose that army. Mm-hmm. And yet he does the honorable thing anyway. What do you think all this situation? Like, what do you think this bodes for the war effort for Rob? Where do you think, well, how do you think this will impact things moving I think forward it's for Rob's good war? Because that Lord, well, in a roundabout way, it's good because that Lord was one of his biggest, like, sort of thorns in his side, like, questioning his authority, making him not seem like a strong leader. Now that he's, like, chosen to stick to his guns, it's gonna be better for him in certain respects. Like, the people he have are gonna be loyal to him and not see him as weak. <laughs> Even though he is now significantly lacking on the numbers, he needs to do really anything. Yeah, at and the that's, moment. Man, he realized the thing with it is, is yes, that is such like a father and him thing. That is probably yeah, that is exactly what Ned Stark would have done. <laughs> exactly the thing Ned Stark would have done. Um, so I don't know. I feel like he wants to stick to his guns, but he realizes that it's not the smartest way to play the game, which is funny because it's something his father realized too late he was sticking to honor and it wasn't the good way to play the game. Everyone gave him options that would have let him, you know, have his cake and, you know, eat it too. Right. But he chose the hard choice. Right. The quote unquote right choice. Yeah. One of the striking things for me too about that scene is, so his wife, Talisa, is like, She's so level-headed during that scene, and yet we have this big scene last episode where she basically comes in, like, tends to the wounds of the boys, feeds them, is really nice and sweet with them, you know? Yeah. And, like, she kind of forms a little bit of a bond with them and says, like, we'll protect you, 
as best as we can. Like you're, she sees them as an unfortunate casualty this whole of this whole thing. They yeah. shouldn't, they shouldn't be dealing with this. And then like when they end up murdered this episode, like she's not the one that gets elevated, even though she had probably more face to face personal time with those boys than anybody in that room did. So I don't know. That's just one of those things I find kind of interesting about Talisa's kind of character. Yeah, like she does have a certain level of detachment, and I think it can maybe be from her her sort of medical background. She's definitely probably like held someone's hand that she knew was going to die or things like that. So yeah, I I don't see that as like maybe a flaw in character or like oh she's so cold. I see that more as something that she's unfortunately used to, whether she likes it or not. We we kind of hit on it. A little bit already but let's go and embrace it full force let's <laughs> talk about what's going on um with stannis's family mm. uh, we see messed up we see his wife for the first time we see his sons in jars for mm. the first time mm. and we see his daughter for the first time yeah what what are your impressions of all of them in in meeting them like they it's it's under strange circumstances. Like you feel, it feels like we should have met them by now. You know, we're they so should have far been a bigger part thing. of his story. But I feel as if it's very good they didn't because it kind of shows what they truly mean to him, and it's kind of they're almost weird. like an afterthought to him. Yeah, truly, honestly, you can even see in the way he like interacts with them. Like you know, a sense of honor will let him apologize to his wife, but does he you know like take her out on a nice dinner or like try and just have a nice normal conversation with her? No, he's like, oh, Melisandre, I told you, and it's like all right, and I want to see my daughter. And it's like, oh, just not going to catch up? Just going to, okay, all right. But yet, even like in that, when he says, like, I want to see my daughter, she's like, oh, no, 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 you don't want to see her. Yeah, like, which that's the, that's the second part of how, like, effed up it is. Like, she's like, no, you're like the Lord of Light. You have more important things to do than to see your own daughter. And it's like, what the actual frick? <laughs> are, how are you this girl's mother? Yeah. So what are you, what are your impressions of her then as his daughter? Well, and well, and the other thing with hit, okay, the sort of the implication is is that, um, his like the daughter is kept in her room by her mother because her mother never like leaves her room. So there's this like double prisoner situation. Yeah, one who chooses and one who doesn't necessarily choose. like a weird self-imposed religious culty kind of thing going yeah, on. Yeah, it it's oof, woof. And it's no wonder that his daughter got attached to Devos. And yet she's so sweet. Like, you can't... She's not screwed up in any way, it feels like, besides, like, the obvious, you know, physical things when we see her. She's well, got yeah. the facial affliction thing going on there. But, like, she's but, so sweet when Yeah, like, her. as a person, she's not been sullied by the world. Yeah. Despite her weird, fanatical family. <laughs> That's true. Her weird, fanatical... I wonder how... I, I'm just curious how, like mommy explained the brothers in a jar to the oh my gosh yeah because i mean she's she's definitely a little kid like they see stuff and they ask about everything i mean like is that something she's cool with or i don't know or is there like another door like i picture her being like the whole like my mommy keeps my brothers in a jar like she says it at inappropriate times you know or it's like like that kid it's like the kid that's like and and my big my big brother does this to me well my little brother in a jar it's like what (laughs) (laughs) yeah well unfortunately i don't think she even gets to go out to have those kind of awkward conversations with other kids unfortunately yeah that's probably really true um, while we're talking about first meetings, I want to 
kind of zero in on a first meeting that is really brief, but I find really interesting in this episode. Um, part of the episode involves um, Brienne and uh, Jamie making it to um, a Bolton fortress, and mm-hmm. they um, immediately meet Roose Bolton, who kind of plays some mind games with Jamie, but ultimately is kind of respectful of like who Jamie is, what Jamie is worth. Oh yeah. And also really respectful of like uh Brienne, which is a really fascinating interaction. But then the next yeah. thing he does is he sends uh Jamie to see this guy named Kyburn. And Kyburn is this like maester guy who tends to Jamie's uh stump and but he's not a maester. He's very he's very clear to say like like he's been stripped of it. He's been stripped of being called a maester, and yet here he is performing like this surgery in the scene there. What are your impressions of Kyburn and what do you think he would do to like lose his maester title? Well, and it was sort of hinted in the episode. It was like ex like the experiments that he did, like I feel as if like you know, he tried too many things like, oh, you don't need this prisoner. Like, I want to see, like, how long they live without their legs. And it's like, what the actual heck? Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe even, I feel as if there may even be, like, some, like, alchemical things. Like, maybe he tried to do stuff like, you know, like, make chimeras out of people or Ew. something, like, weird or gross like that. Or, yeah, or just, like, test the bounds of, like, what a human can survive. And it's like, that's not okay in any society. Do you generally have a good opinion of Kyburn or like a bad one? Like, or where does it intersect with like medical ethics for you? I have a a neutral opinion to him because I feel as if they probably have a pretty good leash on him at this point. And you can just kind of tell because Mm. he tends to Jamie's wounds, like, you know, within the bounds of reason. He takes away the rotten parts to make sure the gangrene doesn't set in. But. And he's also very medically professional. Like, you know, to be the safest, we should take your whole arm, which is another thing. I don't know. It's like typically you uh, I mean, it's definitely professional as a medical person say, like, here's your best options. But still talking about like a full arm amputation rather than how you can save stuff is it's a little bit of a a hint in the not so good direction. (laughs) Yeah, he might not have the best bedside manner. No. And he or like the safety and well-being of his patients like, hmm. It would be cool if I could chop your arm off this far and and, <laughs> and see if you live. But the thing that it is, is I think he's also a very competent, like medical person. He seems very like cool and collected. But, I mean, think about Hannibal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're quite going there with him. But, you know, the, yeah. the very psycho killer, it's like they're very it's like, oh, they're very nice people. Oh, they're so nice. Oh, why do they have plastic all over their furniture? Oh, they don't want to get dust on it. Oh, wait, blood? Ooh, this just got bad. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So do you think that's where, where Kyburn might be headed as a character? I know we haven't seen a whole lot of know. him. I don't know. Maybe it's where he's come from. I have no idea where he's coming from, as a, where he's going to go as a character. Okay. I feel as if Jamie may use him to leverage his way out. So. Yeah. The fact that you're making a big deal of him makes me think that he will be shown and he will be Jamie's way out. Okay. Well, while we're talking about Jamie, I we need to talk about the the big reveal of this episode. We finally get to hear 
his story. Jamie's side of the infamous King Slayer story. We've had it told to us a couple times throughout this, the show so far from different people and their perspectives, but now we hear it right from Jamie and his perspective. So if you could like first like kind of put in your own words like what his kind of s- the story well, is. Well, it's this long, prolonged thing where he really was trying to truly be a knight and tells like, King, stand down, King, stand down. And like everyone's like trying to manipulate him and like work it so that they get the best advantage to basically have him step down by getting the Lannisters into the city and they're sacking it. And Jamie's like, dude, surrender, stand down, don't do this. But then, you know, he evidently loved the alchemical fires and he had it set up across the city. So he was basically going to take everyone with him. And Jamie had to make the choice. Does he keep his honor and let this king live to like see his whole city burn and his family die and, you know, have to go kill his father, which was his king's orders? Yeah. <laughs> or does he kill the king to save everyone in the kingdom, even though he will become, you know, a ronin, basically? Yeah. Does does any of this change your opinion of Jamie? A little bit. And I feel as if it sort of solidifies a sort of like he's he doesn't know how to well run his life but he has some of the best of intentions at times okay it's just that you know poor family life he doesn't know how to make good decisions for himself yeah <laughs> but i don't know it's it's interesting and then there's also like the 75 percent. it's real 25 percent. he's just trying to to work his pawns and get Brienne on his side to get like her and Kyburn to get him out but then he has this rather like emotional breakdown yeah. in the tub with Brienne there. And that's the thing. And that's why I said it's a 25-75 split. Yeah. Like, there's this really interesting, like, vulnerability that happens between the both of them there. Like, she's all like, don't look at me naked. And And then he's he's all like, I don't care. But then he's, like, very, like, emotionally vulnerable with her. And then as soon as that kind of starts, she just doesn't care about the whole, like, I'm naked in front of him Yeah, because she can... Like, she seems to have a more genuine care for him the moment she hears that he is... A man of honor, at least from his perspective, in the way he but behaved. But how can he be portrayed that way when he slayed his own king? Right. So, yeah. I don't know. She definitely got the sob story going on. I don't know. I don't... The thing with it is, is just because you have, like, a crappy past and people see you a certain way, that's that's no reason for your actions moving forward. Yeah. Because <laughs> it doesn't... That doesn't, like, wipe the slate clean for all the other stuff he did. Yes. I mean, there's no doubt that Jamie is still kind of a despicable person. I feel like this is kind of the the crucible for him, if you will, right now, what he's going through. Yeah. And who knows what he'll be on the other side. Do you have any predictions about what that's going to be? I don't even like I have not the foggiest idea where this plot line will go. It's one of the ones I'm interested in the most, just because Jamie was always sort of a wild card. And for a while, he was just sort of a a pawn to the stark side of the story so when he started getting his own arc i'm like "Hmm, this is interesting Mm -hmm. and then he like continually has things taken from him and it's just like "Hmm." like hands well yeah and (laughs) and i mean even just like things that are more abstract like his dignity and all this stuff you know knowing that he's gonna be a pawn in a bigger game when before he was like a knight right or a rook or something you know (laughs) so it's pretty interesting because uh, yeah he definitely his past daddy issues he's vulnerable and he hides it whatever ways he can yeah and i think his is a little bit through like sort of pride and honor but (laughs) doesn't quite work he should 
go with what his other siblings are doing and pick up more wine. <laughs> That's, I mean, if there were wine around, I'm sure Jamie would be drinking it. That's true. So, but you know, it's I, I, I guess sobbing in a bathtub is the best he's is the got other right now. So, <laughs> yeah, nearly drowning in a bathtub. Um, well, there's a lot of moments that we could still zero in on, like so many neat little things between seeing like a, a nice word battle between. Olena and Tyrion. We get to see some really yeah. awesome manipulation from um, uh, from Baelish, you know, sticking oh a boy gosh. whore in Loras's uh control yeah. basically to pump information out of him. We get to see all these neat little scenes of just like little little like cross sections of what's going on all over Westeros. And it's a really interesting series of stuff in this episode. But the episode then ends with a little bit of a bombshell. Uh, Tywin calls in Cersei and Tyrion, and they have this meeting, and Cersei looks all just like, mm, I'm so happy about this. I'm like so she's happy self, you're going to get screwed. Self, self, yeah, so oh satisfied. Gosh. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And then he drops the bomb that in order to prevent the machinations of the Tyrells, uh, Tyrion is going to marry Sansa, and... Cersei is going to marry Loris. So Which my, then keeps them on top. My question for you is give us a snapshot of what those marriages Ooh. are going to be like further down the road. Um, what do you think those marriages are going to be like? Not happy, and I don't think that any of them are happening. <laughs> I think this is finally the rebellion they've been planning for, like, what, the 30-odd-some years they've been on the earth <laughs> to you know, finally tell daddy, no, we can make our own choices. <laughs> I don't know. But the thing with it is, is what's terrifying is that they're all big players in the game. So a lot of stuff is going to shift to make it them get what they want without straight up telling their dad no, which they tried and it didn't work. So what do you think? How do you think like Tyrion and Sansa are going to get along together? Hmm. Just not, it's going to be like the housewife at home is like, oh, honey, you're home. And it's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Where's my wine? <laughs> and how do you think Shay is going to feel about this? I feel as, well, that's very interesting because she's also Sansa's handmaiden. So it's just one of those things where it's like, there's either going to be an unspoken agreement that they're going to be married just on paper. And like, I don't know what else will happen because the other implication is that they will, you know, they have to have, have a baby kids. to consummate it, the baby, like the whole thing. So it's like, I don't know if they're they need going an to... heir. <laughs> it's either that or Tyrion Shay have a baby and put red hair on it. <laughs> they just paint it, <laughs> they dye its hair every day. Oh dear. Yeah, exactly. I don't um, know. I just like the very quick satirical way I think of it is like the, the drunk who comes home to his wife, but doesn't like beat her, but just doesn't care. <laughs> Honestly, that might not be bad for, for Sansa, Sansa in the like, end. Like, if she because, had no other options. Yeah, like... I really don't think that Tyrion would mistreat her, honestly. He's not a bad person, and I don't see him doing something I mean, that's like that. his first comment. He's like, she's a child, she's been through so much as it is, and Tywin's like, yeah, I don't like, care. Like, it wouldn't be bad for her, he would find a way to make it good for her, but it would just be so awkward, because yeah. they would dance around the issue for so long, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
or, or maybe they even pull some sort of things like, oh, didn't you know I'm impotent, daddy? You know how I've been all with, with all those ladies and none of them had babies? <laughs> didn't you think that that's a little odd? <laughs> that's a, like a Tyrion ploy. I feel like he would pull. Totally. But then, of course, Tywin do things like, I will sit in the bed with, with you tonight and see the deed done until there's a child. It's like, what the heck actually, dad? He would do that, too. I know. And that's a terrifying thing. He would actually or like hire a few people, too. Do you think he would do that for Loras and Cersei? I I don't know. Tyrion's definitely his his trouble child. Yeah. So I don't know. But and I feel as if like, Cersei, if it happened to her, would probably suck it up and just make it happen. She seemed more like opposed to her thing than Tyrion did to his thing. Though. Oh, very much so. But of course, she she cheated anyways and didn't have kids with rob in the first place right <laughs> so i don't know if it's necessarily a problem so much as an oh you always have blonde children thing <laughs> because loris does have blonde hair but do you think that do you think that tywin is like fully aware of that though or if he does Possibly. he does not care or but and no on? i think the thing with it is is he doesn't care because he's still getting family and as long as the family lives on he doesn't care yeah even if they're is maybe some credence to those disgraceful rumors going on about his family. The, yeah, the thing with it is, is he he will squash them, and right. he probably already has been squashing them for years. I don't think that it's a surprise to him, as with the Loras thing, which is funny. Cause, so, yeah. I have to ask, though, what do you think a snapshot of Loras and Cersei's marriage is like? Cersei drinking wine and Loras being like, is it okay for me to go spar? And she's like, yeah, sure, you can frick whoever you want. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, she's calling up Cousin Lancel. Yeah, getting Lancel. It's like, whatever. And then he's like, ooh, you have a pretty cousin. She's like, back off, my cousin. <laughs> My cousin, get your own. Get your own. <laughs> we have plenty of others. <laughs> not on. Not if the Starks murder them all. Oh my gosh. Or the Car Starks, I guess, in this episode. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. <laughs> Jeez. Well. Well, uh, I know that was a lot, but yes. that does it for my weekly or my questions. Let's move to the weekly wrap-up questions. Oh boy. Um, first off, uh, Stark of the week. Uh, we basically see all of them with the exception of Bran and Rickon. That's really tough. So, who I do mean, you give it to? I mean, mm, definitely not Sansa. And they all do something this definitely. episode. Yeah, I mean, even Arya does some stuff, but it's not super It's crazy. not huge. Yeah. Um, I think I'm actually going to give it to uh, Robert to rob yes for sticking to his guns and being sort of like his father because i don't know i feel as if it's better for him to have a loyal force because there is always that doubt always that little bit of dissension especially and especially knowing how big that that dude's part of the army was like if they had turned on them that would have been catastrophic yeah so i feel as if it was a good move and also now his you know the ploy to go for the lannister heartland yeah which is super interesting it's super cunning yeah it's really good so i feel like this is a good good episode for him because it shows that he sticks to his guns and also that he can still adapt okay uh what about uh the winner of the crown this week a lot of people are playing the game like super hardcore this episode i feel like it should actually and i mean like for who has the best plan well oh yeah this isn't plan this is crowns Mm. we like who played the game the best this episode i mean i have i have a few thoughts just like thinking about it 
and seeing the power plays, like the way like Elena walked all over that scene with Tyrion to yeah. Baelish, like doing expertly getting the information he needed to for the for the Lannisters to Tywin being like, we're gonna, I have this perfect plan to yeah because in the I bud. feel like, as if I'd want to give Tywin the crown, but maybe not the best play of the game. Like that's the thing. <laughs> okay, you know what I mean. Yeah, I would yeah. give Tywin the crown because it's the most solid idea. With like, it's literally the the best plan. I just think that it's going to screw him. Like I almost want to give him like best and worst plan. <laughs> okay, well let's talk about that then. Best plan, worst plan. Does it do? Do you give them both the Tywin? I mean, which one do you think will play out the best and the worst moving? forward because i okay never mind maybe i actually want to give no that makes more sense i want to give tywin worst plan while it is literally the best plan you could think of on paper it's gonna go so backwards on him (laughs) like it's gonna go so bad on him because it's going to pit all of his kids against him for once they're all gonna work together again and there's only so far that you can take the whole like i'm daddy route and you're gonna listen to me exactly i feel as if that's actually worst plan okay and then i really i really do think this is this is a rob week i think his plan wins best plan okay because like the plan to go get the phrase and then go get the phrase and steal casterly rock out from under the land awesome because like that's such a blow to the pride of the Lannister because that's like our family home and it, since it has the, the keyword family in it they're going to probably make some poor choices because if they just stayed in King's Landing yeah right. they could literally wait a few years for the winters to pass and then still be okay the Lannisters do tend to get weak when it involves like the family personally so so maybe a good idea Um, but who gets crown I thought you gave that to Tywin uh, I was thinking about it. Do you want to reconsider your... I don't your... want to give it to Tywin. I was thinking because talking okay. it out made me see he definitely okay. has more than we can revisit plan. it. But who gets crowned? Yeah, who played the game the best? Gosh, there's so many. I really ones. honestly think that it goes to the Tyrells because everything that's happening with other plans is reflexive to their basically taking over of the capital. Would you say specifically Olena Tyrell? Um, Since she's kind of leading things. Yeah, honestly, because we see a little more that she's leading things. Because while, you know, Marjorie is definitely doing her thing, I feel as if it's more at her grandma's, like, behest and counsel. So I feel like it's more like Elena. And it's also, you can see in that, she's always dismissive. But just the way that she treats Tyrion in that shows how much control she has over the situation. And how much, like she doesn't even see his like the Lannisters as a valid threat right I love that part where she tells like Podrick to go get her some figs (laughs) Figs. and And then did you get them from Valencia from Valantis (laughs) where'd you get them from Valantis (laughs) uh, she's just she's so perfect yes (laughs) so I think that Olena wins the crown because I don't know this for me was the episode where I felt pretty solid in the fact that yes most of the scheming and planning is coming straight from her okay and do you foresee the Tyrells coming on top of this despite Tywin's counter move I think so because this is why I had to rescind the crown from Tywin because I think that he's literally made the worst plan by trying to do this gotcha yeah I think that everyone understands like yeah the you know like the Lannisters should have to do something to win but they're not willing to do it the way that daddy's gonna do it right because they're like at all it's like the lannister self-absorption is going to like bite bite them, them in, in their the butts butt. yeah, yeah exactly because he's hit all of them where they're not willing to be hit and that is their crotches very eloquently put zach <laughs> <laughs> most people would ha- would probably agree to this but it's the inelegant way to elegantly summarize this this is true um okay um 
seeing how this episode kind of sets up a lot of things moving forward for basically everybody. Yeah. Um, how hopeful are you for the rest of the season? I, this how actually has feel? increased my hope levels because, like, a lot of the people that I pretty much universally see as villains are gonna, like, get theirs. Like, Tywin's gonna get his. It's gonna happen. Okay. It's, like, that's coming. And I'm also fine with the Tyrells walking over people because whatever. They'd at least be okay rulers if that would come to pass. The North looks like they have a plan to, to you know, at least secure the north if not maybe even pull ahead and well Daenerys has an army so that's always good yeah that is true that is very true so there is a chance that there may be some half decent rulers coming to okay. Westeros and that makes you feel how hopeful on a scale of 1 to 10 a 6 and a half okay I'll, I'll take it I'll take I it I mean there's still definitely some shenanigans but like I'm I'm okay with them at this point. <laughs> okay. Well, as always, Zach, it is a pleasure watching you watch. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. It's definitely jam-packed and really good. It's it's weird. Oh, and you know what's great about this episode? What? There was no Theon. Yeah, that's true. That's good. Anytime without Theon's a good a that's good a day. Good time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as always, Zach, it is fun watching you watch, particularly an episode like this that is just so freaking jam-packed mm-hmm. with information. It blows my mind how much, like how fast some of this goes. And yeah. so um, this would be a great opportunity for you guys, the listeners out there, to connect with us. Uh, maybe you've got a question for Zach that's fitting that leading kind of thing perhaps you want to ask him about some of his headcanon that's always fun for me um we'd love to hear from you guys so you can connect with us with a couple ways you can um can connect with us on youtube uh perhaps you're watching the video version of the podcast on youtube so just leave a comment on the video there if you got any questions um or you can connect with us on twitter at useful npcs or on tumblr as useful npcs as well so, uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Love to have mm-hmm. you connect with us. So, yes. Zach, as we as we close out this episode, do you have just any like snap, quick like predictions for how season three is going to end? Uh, there's going to be a lot of blood. <laughs> <laughs> there's it's it's not going to be good. Like how much? S- Estimating gallons for me. Three to four major characters worth of blood. Okay. And any predictions on who those three to four major characters are going to be? I hope it's Tywin. Okay. I. It very well may be Tywin. That seems like a good thing. Like, I could see a siege on his castle and him trying to defend it as sort of, like, an ending point and then the start of a new, like, what happens when he's not there thing. Because I feel like so much of the plot to this point has been sort of run by him. If he's taken out, like, it's gonna change the game completely. True enough. True enough. And it feels, you know, like something he would, the author of this would do. <laughs> so, Zach, will you be crossing your fingers for that as we move into this latter half of season three? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, so let's let's kill Tywin and Theon, and hmm, nah, that'll be good. That'll be good. Tywin for the and season. Theon. Yeah, we're good there. <laughs> we'll stop there for right now. We won't Maybe Melisandre, but she's probably immortal. <laughs> probably immortal. Uh, like I'm she's terrified of her. Like the fact that I've 
told her to die means that she, as a fictional character, will somehow still kill me in real life. Plus, there's that whole resurrection thing going on, too. Yeah, so. mm, not a fan of that. <laughs> the Lord of Light could also go away. Okay, those are some fighting words. I hope that you do not get struck down or burned in a fire. <laughs> I, same. Same. So-